If you're looking for a travel PT program after graduation, Explore ATI offers an industry-leading salary, top benefits, scheduled bonuses, and an in-depth 10-week training, along with an assigned mentor and our best-in-class MSK curriculum to launch your clinical career. Add in access to all of ATI's learning and development resources and programs, and you'll be sure to grow personally and professionally, all while doing the job you love. Reach out today to one of ATI's recruitment specialists to learn more about their program offerings and opportunities. Welcome to the MPT StudyCast. My name is Rachel Barisi, and I'm a board-certified cardiopulmonary and geriatric clinical specialist. I'm also the owner of All Things Cardiopulm. My superpower is being able to break down super complex information into easy, digestible, and practical chunks. My goal is to help students crush the cardiopulm section on the MPTE by being able to understand the why and tackle any question, whether it's rote memory or case-based application. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of the MPT StudyCast. I am Rachel Barisi from All Things Cardiopulm, and today we're going to be talking about the mechanics of breathing. So let's jump right in. We're going to hit some key concepts, go through some definitions, hit anatomy a little bit, but really we're going to concentrate on how we actually breathe. So we're going to be talking about the mechanics of breathing and how we go about that. So the first thing I want to tackle is just this concept of ventilation versus respiration. Those two words are commonly used synonymously, and they're not. They're different. So with ventilation, it's the actual mechanical process of breathing. It's the moving air in and out of the lungs from the atmosphere into the lungs. It is just the movement of air. Respiration, on the other hand, is the process of gas exchange at the cellular level. So when we're talking about respiration, we're talking about gas exchange at the alveoli. When we're talking about ventilation, we're literally talking about moving air from the outside world into the lungs. So today we're going to be really concentrating on ventilation. The first key concept is understanding that the movement of air from the atmosphere into our lungs occurs due to pressure gradients. As a matter of fact, pressure gradients is one of the number one reasons that things move in our body, period. So understanding pressure gradients is a key to understanding a ton of key concepts in cardio pulp. Pressure gradients always move from high to low. Key concept number two is that airflow is pressure gradient over resistance. So why do you care about that? Because air is gonna come in based on the amount of resistance that is applied. So we have to worry about moving from high to low and be able to create that pressure gradient. But we also need to understand that there might be resistance. And two primary causes of resistance, one is at the tissue and one is at the airway. So an example of tissue resistance can be someone that has interstitial lung disease and has high fibrosis. When you have fibrosis in the lungs, you literally decrease the compliance of the lungs, which is going to create increased resistance, which means it's going to be harder to pull that air in. Same is true with resistance in the airways. When you're thinking about airway resistance, you're thinking about the size of the tube. If you have bronchoconstriction, it's going to be much harder to pull air in than if you have bronchodilation or normal resting airways. So key concept number two, ventilation, airflow moving into the lungs is going to be dependent on pressure gradient over resistance. Number three, Boyle's law. Now you may be thinking, Rachel, you tell me you were going to give me the quick and dirty for the 
for the cardiopalm test. We're talking about laws, absolutely. So Boyle's law is a key concept. And what Boyle's law tells us is that the pressure of a gas is inversely related to its volume. So let's put that into English. That means that as the volume increases, the pressure is going to decrease. The result is the creation of a pressure gradient. And so Boyle's law is the primary concept of how ventilation even occurs in the lungs themselves. So we're gonna hit some anatomy first because it's important to understand what we're dealing with to understand how we deal with it. So first we're gonna hit muscles of inhalation. Up front, first, foremost, primary, the diaphragm. The diaphragm is the primary muscle of ventilation. The diaphragm is considered a large musculotendinous dome that sits all the way up in our rib cage. It has a ton of attachment points. But what I really want you to think about is that it's divided into two halves. Now, this is important because we have a right and a left hemidiaphragm. The right is typically considered stronger because it's protected by the liver, while the left is more likely for rupture, more likely to have rupture occur. It is also innervated by the phrenic nerve. An easy way to remember this is C345, keep the diaphragm alive. What is important to understand is that each side is innervated separately. Meaning if one phrenic nerve is cut, the other can still do its job. And so that's super important. And you will see this commonly with lung transplant patients. If they're a bilateral lung transplant, they lose phrenic nerve altogether. If they're a unilateral lung transplant, they'll be able to rely on one side. That phrenic nerve innervates both motor and sensory to its one side. All right. So What's the big deal about the diaphragm? Besides that, it is this giant muscle that sits all the way up in our rib cage. It is the primary driver of pressure change in the body, specifically in the thoracic and abdominal cavity, but truly it is one of the biggest drivers of pressure change in the body. This is the key to understanding how ventilation occurs and why Boyle's law is gonna be pulled in. Back to anatomy, we also have external intercostals. There's 11 pairs of them. They arise from the lower borders of the ribs to the upper borders of the ribs. And basically when they contract, they're gonna pull the lower rib cage up and out and allow for chest expansion. It's like opening the trunk of a car, literally pulling the chest wall up and out, anteriorly, laterally, and superiorly. And it's innervated by the ventral ramus T1 to 12. And of course, we have accessory muscles. We have a laundry list. SCM, scalene, serratus, pec minor major, traps, erector spinae, lats. The key is accessory muscles are meant to be accessory. They assist. So when you're taking deep breaths in, the accessory muscles may kick in to assist the ribcage to move anteriorly, superiorly, and laterally. Primarily, as all the accessory muscles will hit anterior and superior motion, but it's the extra, it's not the primary. Oh, the pleura. The pleura might be one of my favorite anatomical pieces because it is underrated. It's like 
the workhorse that we don't ever talk about. So diaphragm is the primary driver, but the pleura is kind of what allows everything to work. So the pleura is a serous membrane that covers each lung and there are two layers. We have the visceral and parietal pleura. The visceral surrounds the viscera, the lung itself, and it's inseparable from the tissue. So it, it, it's on there. It's also not innervated. The parietal pleura on the other hand covers the inner surface of the chest wall, the diaphragm, the mediastinum, and even into the cervical area. This is huge because when we pull on the pleura, we're going to be able to expand lung tissue. It's the underdog here. Don't forget about the pleura because it's key in allowing for inhalation to occur, to allow lungs to expand, and it's the primary driver in inspiratory, I'm sorry, impaired breathing. All right, so let's start diving into the mechanics of it. Inhalation is always concentric. Let's say it again. Inhalation is always concentric. It is always an active movement. When we inhale, we have contraction of the diaphragm and the external intercostals, always. It is active, it is concentric. So when the diaphragm contracts, we have to think about what it's doing, where it's moving. So normally our diaphragm sits all the way up in our rib cage. It is dome shaped. It's like an umbrella. And when the diaphragm contracts, it's gonna move inferiorly, which actually ends up causing an increase in volume or dimension of the thorax. Mm, start to think back to that law now. The external intercostals, when they contract, they're literally going to pull up the trunk of the car, lift the rib cage. And this is where you hear the terms bucket handle versus pump handle. The lower chest has the most motion. You're gonna have a bucket handle movement. And if you're seeing me on YouTube, you're seeing my elbows go from the side up to about 90 degrees, abduction, kind of like a chicken wing. Okay. So think about a bucket handle being lifted up. It's going to pull the rib cage anteriorly, laterally, and posteriorly, and a little superiorly as well. The upper chest, on the other hand, is mostly an anterior superior motion based on the anatomical structure of the rib cage. We don't have much ability to move laterally. And we call this one the pump handle. So if you think old school, like water uh, pump, that's what the pump handle comes from. I like to use a different analogy. I don't know if that's the right word, but a different visual. Think of a beer tap. We're going to use that like a pump handle. We're just going to pull up anterior and superior. Again, trying to lift the rib cage. And now here's the key. The lungs can expand due to pleural attachment at the diaphragm and the chest wall. So as that diaphragm moves inferiorly and contracts, it's pulling the pleura of the lungs inferiorly. And as the external intercostals contract, it's pulling the pleura laterally, superiorly, and anteriorly to allow the lungs to expand. 
Now, I'm always going to ask you this question. Why do you care? Hashtag Boyle's Law. Inhalation causes an increase in volume. And we now know that when we increase volume, we decrease pressure. We decrease intrathoracic pressure within the lungs themselves. This allows air to flow from the atmosphere into the lungs because now the atmospheric pressure is higher than the pressure within our lungs. So we suck that air in, kind of like a vacuum effect. Exhalation is sort of just the opposite, but there is a little nuance in here. So I'm not just going to say it's the opposite. Exhalation during normal, quiet breathing is passive. This is a key fact. When I say quiet breathing, I mean normal breathing, resting breathing. Breathing when we're not doing anything extraordinary. When we're just normally sitting, while you're listening to this podcast maybe, if you're not exercising, exhalation in quiet breathing is passive. So what does that mean? It is a passive process because it's literally a recoil and relaxation. That's it. So we're going to have elastic recoil of the lungs, right? You pull the pleura, think of like a rubber band, and it's going to go back. Same for the diaphragm. You pull the diaphragm down. Think about pulling a rubber band down. When you let go, what's going to happen? It's going to go back up. Same is true for the external intercostals. You pull these external intercostals out on inhalation, on exhalation, you're back in. So now what's happening? When you have elastic recoil of the lungs, relaxation of the diaphragm, relaxation of the external intercostal muscles, you're going to have a decrease in chest volume, which means you're going to have an increased pressure within the lungs. So what's going to happen? Air is going to move out. It's literally going to be pushed out because the pressure inside the lungs is now higher than the pressure in the atmosphere. So let's just kind of hit quickly, and we're not going to spend too much time here, the primary muscles of active exhalation, because there are times when we're going to actively exhale. Active exhalation is controlled by the abdominals, and the internal intercostals. So the abdominals provide this nice anterior support to the abdomen. It helps force the diaphragm up with contraction, and it's the primary driver to assist with the force that comes with coughing. The internal intercostals has also 11 pairs. They run down and in, and they depress and aid forceful exhalation. They're also innervated by the ventral ramus, T1 to 12. So I want you to think about those internal intercostals. I like to say like hands in the pocket. If you're seeing me on video, I have my hands up near my rib cage and I'm gonna push them down and in. It's kind of like wringing out a towel. It's literally squeezing the air out. So what are examples of forced exhalation? Coughing, blowing a bubble or instrument, laughing, exercising, singing, 
are all exam examples of an active process. And then that could be further broken down into concentric or eccentric movement of the diaphragm. So coughing, I want you to put your hands on your abdomen and I want you to cough one time. So you're gonna take a deep breath in and cough. <coughs> and what you should feel is your abdomen pop right in. It's concentric, it's forceful. Same could be true for blowing on an instrument or blowing into an instrument. Think about the trombone. I've never played an instrument. No one wants to hear me with an instrument. I do not have a musical ear. But if you think about someone blowing into a trombone, you're gonna think about that forceful push. And so that would be considered concentric as well. Singing is more eccentric, holding a note. And this can actually be used as a assessment tool where you literally hold a vowel sound like, ah, see, I told you I wasn't gonna sing and there it went. If you're holding the note for time, you're controlling that diaphragm moving back up into the thorax and that is eccentric. Same is true for exercise, right? Depending on where you are in your stage of exercise depends on what that exhalation looks like. If you're huffing and puffing, well, then we're moving more into a concentric breath. So regardless of how you look at this, I want you to hold this in your mind. Quiet, resting breathing is passive. It's all based on relaxation and recoil. But forced exhalation or active exhalation can be anything like coughing, blowing on an instrument or bubble, laughing, exercising, singing. And that can be broken down into eccentric or concentric control based on the force and the, the act of exhalation, okay? To just wrap up Boyle's law, as that diaphragm pushes back up into the thorax, as those internal intercostals are squeezing down and in, the lung tissue themselves is going to decrease. We have decreased volume in the chest and therefore, and lungs, and therefore we have an increased pressure allowing air to move out. And when it's forced exhalation, it's gonna move out more quickly due to the abdominal contraction and inter internal intercostals squeezing that air out. <clears throat> All right, I hope that was helpful for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, reach out to me via text at 913-308-4494. You can shoot me an email at allthingscardiopalm at gmail.com or find me on the Instagrams and hit me up in the DMs at all underscore, underscore things underscore cardiopalm. All right, I hope you all have a wonderful day and whatever you have to do, get after it.